Midwest hospitality, where everybody was just so nice. Totally. And, and I've never been more flattered by people in my whole life. <laughs> I hope it fits on the airplane. <laughs> you know, we just got done speaking with Peter Dante, and he said the exact same yeah. thing. They said, you want to talk about Southern hospitality? No, it's Midwest hospitality is the best. So you just said it. You confirmed. Yeah, and I loved just horror in general and right. people in horror. Um, there was a fellow who came to my table, John, and he said, it's a place you can be without judgment. Absolutely. And I love that quote, you know, a place you can be without judgment. That's so true for... It's like a, it's a community that really embraces people, I feel like. And, you know, you've been part of the horror community for a long time. Um, How does it feel to be such a big part of the horror community? I, I especially like people that came up to me today and yesterday and said, um, thank you for being my babysitter when I was nine years old. Oh. <laughs> Meaning, you know, they watch my movies and the parents leave them alone. And I thought, oh, I warped their young minds. <laughs> For me, it was more like, thank you for making me feel good when I was nine years old, you know? It was, it was like, they were comfort movies, and they still are, you know? I did a screening of Slumber Party Massacre uh, two weekends ago in Long Beach, California, and the theater was packed, and many of the people hadn't even been born yet when the movie was made 40 years ago. But they all laughed and shrieked and gasped in the right places. And then the other half of the theater was people who had seen it dozens of times. They were big fans. So I was just so happy that the movie still holds up. And we're all amazed that Slumber Party became a cult classic because it was just like the little movie that could. And it's still popular. And this year is its 40th anniversary. Happy birthday to a great, or happy anniversary to a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I love, um, I love the trilogy anyway. Yeah. But but I love the, um, I love the Dirtly Color Man. He's great. Yeah. You know, he's, he's yeah. fun. He's so fun. You know, he's he's really unique. We don't have one of those. You know, he doesn't use a knife. You know, Drill's pretty unique. Yeah. He he largely was a silent killer uh -huh. and. When he talked, the voice, I, I think, didn't really fit the character. It was kind of soft. It wasn't growly. I mean, I'm going to cut your head off. Um, but he's a method actor, uh, Michael Bellella, who played yeah. Russ Thorne. And he said one time in another talk that um, he was imitating a peacock, the way he'd kind of look out of the side oh, of his oh, eyes and I stuff. I can see that, yeah. yeah. And um, when we were shooting in, in Los Angeles, he kept his distance from the girls at lunch and stuff. He wouldn't sit with us. He stayed in costume. He'd be off, you know, skulking in the bushes, glaring at us <laughs> and making us uncomfortable because he didn't want us to be friendly with him so that we would still feel kind of put off by him. And you know, it seems, I was looking on um, the internet, it seems like you've been pretty busy lately. What is a new project that you have that you're really excited about? Uh, okay, yeah, it's just amazing. Despite COVID, I did nine movies last year and eight the year before. And next month, I in June alone, I have four movie jobs. Wow. And you know, it's two days <coughs> each, but still, that's it's. I, I'm up to 230 movies now. And I have to say that the modern stuff goes direct to streaming. The budgets are extremely low. A lot of it's crowdfunded, and I'm the name on the title. I know that, um, you know. But it, I make a living at it, and I.
consider myself very lucky to be able to make a living doing what I love doing. Uh, I did do a movie last October that I think is going to be amazing. Um, the director was older, he was in his 40s, usually I work with directors who are 25, and it was shot in a very small town in Oregon, so it has a lot of scenic value, the forests and the little town and stuff. It's called Cross Hollow, and it's about this religious cult that sort of gradually takes over a town and they have this ulterior purpose. They want to bring back the goddess. And unfortunately, they do. <laughs> and she's pissed. Oh my God. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it does. So I would love actually to talk to you a little bit about um, Caesar and Otto. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm friends with Dave and Paul. You know, and so I love those movies and supporting them. Like, how'd you get involved in that? Um, I think Dave Campfield just approached me. He lives in New York, I'm in LA, and the guy that plays Otto lives in Los Angeles yeah. as well. And, um, you know, they involve Lynette Quigley, Felissa Rose, uh, a lot of the gang. And they're just so funny. They're great little comedies, and it's, it's a duo that play well off of each other. And uh, even if I get killed in a movie, I was killed in uh, the Xmas yeah. movie. Or no, it was uh, was it the summer, summer camp? camp? Summer camp. I think I got. Or killed Deadly Christmas on yeah. too. Yeah, I can't remember. But then I reappeared as ghosts in the Halloween movie. Yes. Yeah. And I played twin ghosts, and that was really fun to play twins because they shoot one of my t characters and then they shoot the other one and they meld them together. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, what is particularly fun about horror? Like, what does that genre allow you to do as an actor? Oh, just about everything. <laughs> Best part. Yeah, yeah. I, I often say I just show up to see what they'll do with me today. Um, it, it, I, I've been killed in a lot of movies, and I'm kind of excited in June. Of the four movies I'm doing, I die in three of them. And in one of them, uh, in Houston, I play the chief of police. I get garroted by the bad guys. And in uh, this prison, I play a prison warden, and I get suffocated with a plastic bag over my head. And those are two new ways that I've never died before. So I'm very excited because I've been shot with guns, shot with arrows, yeah. torn apart by demons, yeah. you know, drowned in quicksand. Um, it's just so fun. So two new ways to die. And the other one, I get burned up alive in a haunted house. I play a real estate agent and I'm trying to sell this haunted house to clients and then I'm like, you know, this thing really needs to be demolished and end the curse. So I try to set the house on fire and it kills me. So death by haunted uh -oh. house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I have one movie in Florida next month where I play a mom and I do not die and I'm like, What's wrong? <laughs> How does that feel? Oh, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. sneak a kill scene in here right. on me. <laughs> in in the early days, like the '80s and stuff, I started out playing victims, and then I met Fred Ellen Ray, who made eight or nine movies with me, I think, and he decided there was better things to do with me than kill me. So in a number of my movies, like Haunting Girl, for example, I started out looking like a victim. My husband is gaslighting me, making me think I'm crazy. And then I go insane and kill a, a bunch of people who desperately deserve it. So I figure I've um, probably died in a third of my movies, killed people in a third, and the other third, nothing happens. <laughs> well, you know, one of my favorites, also Fred Ellen Ray, we talked about it on Friday, is Sideshow. Mm -hmm. 
you didn't die, you didn't kill anyone, but you were very foretelling. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. is a cute little movie. It's, it's kind of underrated. Nobody really sees it much. But I played a uh, fortune teller. And I play fortune tellers in a lot of movies. I guess it's my exotic dark looks. But um, they just had this costume made for me. It was beautiful. And uh, we shot it at the old Corrigan Ranch out in Los Angeles, which they made a lot of westerns at in the old days. And there's kind of a little town there. And I just remember it was an all-night shoot. It, was, it took forever to get there. And then we shot all night. And uh, then you got to drive home. And you know, it's exhausting. It's not easy to make these movies. And a lot of them really are like action films because you're dealing with weapons, knives, machetes, guns, you know, pray that they're not loaded. And you're running, sometimes running in high heels. One time I was making a movie in Indiana called It Came From Trafalgar, and I was running in high heels, and across the grass, my boot heel got stuck in the dirt, and I just did a face plant. <laughs> You know, kind of going back to you talked about you have you know a couple of your ways to get killed. Do you have a favorite kill, like a time that you've been killed? Do you have a favorite one, or a favorite way, or a favorite murder you committed? Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, I do remember I, I was making a movie with Jason Paul Collin in Wisconsin. I think it was it was either October Moon or November Sun. Probably November Sun. And I'm, I'm at a pond, and I see a coffin rise up out of the pond. And I wade into the pond, almost like a dreamlike sequence in this white dress. And um, the coffin lid opens, and I look in, and something inside grabs me and tries to pull me in. And I have this struggle, and I'm in this scummy, scummy water. And I come out of the pond, and I'm literally dripping with slime. And I go in the bathroom and I'm showering, trying to get the slime out of my hair and off my body, it's sticking. And I just start laughing hysterically because I thought, you know, when you're a horror actress, you do things that you would never do in real life. But because you've got a director saying, go in the pond, you do it. <laughs> okay, this seems good. Sure, sure why not? <laughs> this, this, this seems logical, I'll go in the pond. Yeah, doesn't everyone go in ponds, right? Yeah. Do we have any audience questions at all right now? Not yet? Some everyone shy? Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna ask the same question. I was gonna ask oh. if uh, you had a, a favorite way to die. But I like to question if you had. You, you have a. You have a kill scene that you like. That was a great. If I was gonna kill somebody. Oh well, Delta Delta die. Love Delta Delta um, Die. It's, it's not a great movie, but some people. It is great. It's charming. It's charming. Yeah. People came to my table and loved how it pounced. Yeah. <laughs> that was you. That yes. was me. That was you. I yes. remember seeing one like, yes. Yeah. 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 So it was. It was kind of uh -huh. just trying to be animalistic, and, and I'm small. I'm only five foot three. So if I'm dealing with a larger assailant, you know, it's you gotta pretend that you're. Able to overpower them, so it was just kind of fun to pounce on people. And I love the scene where I've got the baseball bat and I come around the corner with the baseball bat, and the look on my face just says it all. Like it's your turn next. Yeah. I, I also things. liked when I did haunting fear and I get buried alive in a coffin, and uh, 
It was really funny because the, the side of the coffin is missing so they can get the camera there and they're throwing dirt on top of it. It's supposed to be the actors are doing it and I'm supposed to be going crazy inside the coffin and you know, and it's really funny to have to go insane in a movie or to get possessed by a demon. I've been possessed a number of times uh, you know, or to turn into a vampire and uh, all of that because nothing really prepares you for that. You know, I, I grew up in a very small town in Southern California where everyone was normal. And um, I was a scientist in, in San Diego. I was a marine biologist. I worked at a nuclear power plant. And then I followed my husband at the time, Dave Stevens, to Hollywood because he was doing storyboards for Steven Spielberg. And um, I thought, oh, I'll just get a science job in Los Angeles, but there wasn't one. And then one day, I was walking down a corridor and there was a door open and it was a casting office. And they're like, you, come here. And I'm like, oh no, no, I'm in the wrong place. And, and he says, no, come here, show me what you got. And he put me in a movie the next day as an extra, all the marbles. And then I did a, a number of movies as an extra, but my first speaking role was Slumber Party Massacre. And I answered an ad in Dramalogue that basically said a dozen pretty girls needed to get naked and die horribly. <laughs> that sounds great to me. Yeah, why not? I can do that. So, um, so I did, and I would have had a larger part. They really wanted to cast me as one of the leads, but I had a modeling job at Lake Tahoe, so there was a conflict of schedule. So they had to kill me off in three days. So I took the smaller part. and. I had never run from a maniac. Um, I'd never screamed. I'd never died in a movie. That was my first movie. So I thought it turned out really well. And back in 1982, it was before video, so you had to watch movies on the big screen. So I'm sitting in the theater watching this giant you know, movie, and I'm like, I'm not too bad at this. Maybe I'll do this until I find a science job. And I never found a science job. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> grateful for that one. Yeah. And what do you think makes a good horror movie for you? What makes like a perfect horror movie? Well, I liked the horror comedies of the 80s. Um, I, I'm not into the torture porn thing. I just, you know, some, some movies are very mean-spirited and I love suspense and drama. I watch a lot of mystery thrillers and things besides horror movies and I just love that feeling of suspense. But with the horror comedies, um, you can laugh. You know, you can have that release, the roller coaster thing where you're scared, but then you're <laughs> exhilarated. Love that. Uh, yeah, and especially the ones in the 80s. Um, Charlie Bandit Full Moon called me one day and he said, uh, I'm going to remake Sorority Babes. And I'm like, so why are you telling me this? I died. And I was pulled apart by demons. And uh, he said, well, I wonder if you would direct it. And I'm like, Sure, <laughs> and, and I didn't want to say, why are you remaking this? The first movie was perfect. Me, Linnea, Michelle, the boys that were in it, it had so much charm. It was just a perfect little movie. And I think it still stands up to this day because the, everyone is such a character in it and so charismatic. And, but I didn't want to talk myself out of a job. But then COVID hit and they had the whole roster of the Deadly 10 for Full Moon and uh, Sorority Babes was number 10, and they were only on four, five, and six in different stages of development when everything shut down from COVID. So I stay in touch with Charlie. I'm, every few months I say, are we ever gonna 
do the remake of Sorority Babes. And he's like, mm, no plans yet, maybe next year. So I hope so, I, but I read the script and it's almost a scene for scene remake. It's not a sequel. You know, they've got the paddling and the whipped cream and the shower, you know, it's, it's identical, the dialogue and stuff, except that Michelle and I come back as ghosts and Linnea's character is still alive. She's a grown up spider from the movie and uh, she makes an appearance in it too. So they do give us cameos. Mm -hmm. Is she in it quite a bit and you guys like as the ghosts and her coming back as Spider and she's still like a total badass in this? Yeah, yeah, in the sorority. She was a former um, sorority mother or something. Mm -hmm. Not that Spider would have ever done that, but yeah. uh, she comes back to the sorority and talks about, you know, back in the day. And then Michelle and I are just isolated as ghosts. They can shoot us against a green screen. And we're just kind of making comments, wry, sardonic comments about what's going on. Um, because we were there, we were, this was us. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was interested in it, but even though they listed you guys in the cast, I was like, are they really in it, or are they still just listing them from the first movie? Yeah. So I was kind yeah. of curious about that, so you guys do come back. Yeah, yeah, awesome. because both of us died in the first movie. When they, uh, when I found out they were making a Slumber Party Massacre <laughs> 2, mm -hmm. I called uh, New World and said, can I be in it? And they're like, Brink, you're dead. <laughs> I'm like, you could be a ghost. <laughs> I was gonna say, in a horror movie, that doesn't stop you. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. You could be a sister. I love the twin sister angle. Yeah, yeah you could be a sister, or because we didn't get much of your character's backstory because we lost you so so fast. You could have had a sister, and what they did with part two, there was the whole sister thing there too, so why not? That's one of the main drawbacks of dying so much in movies, is like they're remaking, or making a sequel to Teacher Shortage. Um, and I died in that, and Mrs. Claus, they're making a Mrs. Claus too, I died in that. So there's no way I can come back. Um, but I'd sure like to, so yeah, <laughs> I'd suggest the sister angle. There's always a way to come back. Uh -huh. <laughs> always. Some, sometimes they come back. Again. <laughs> and for more. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Any more out there? Yeah. Um, I actually was wondering, this is off topic from your movies, it's more on your interests. So I read that you used to be a Trekkie back in the day, and I was wondering if that was really true, and if you did you used to go to conventions yourself because of watching Star Trek and stuff back in the day? Yeah, and I was a big fan of the original Star Trek, which I think ran from 1966 to 68. Um, I was just a kid. and. I was in school, I was, my parents were very German and very strict, and they said I could only have one hour of television per week, and so I chose Star Trek, so that That's was pretty awesome. much, and, and I missed out on so much pop culture of my era, because I just didn't see these things, you know, I, but I knew Star Trek, so that was my focus. And I just loved it. Of course, I loved Mr. Spock and all that. And then in 1975, uh, in Los Angeles, they started having Equicons. B. Joe Trimble was involved in them. And uh, I, they had a costume contest and also a fashion show kind of contest. And I did a lot of drawings for costumes and they made them into actual clothes that women modeled. And I modeled one myself and I won a few awards for that. So I was involved in it. 
and um, I, I lost interest, you know, as I got older. I'm not, I'm kind of ambivalent about the modern Star Trek stuff, but that was my era, was the 60s. And it was really fun at the Equicons around 75 and stuff. I met Walter Koenig and, you know, the whole, whoever was available, William Shatner and so on. So it was a lot of fun. It was great. I just thought that was so awesome when I read that about you because my era was like the next generation. So mm. even though, I have much appreciation for the original, but I just thought that was so cool. Like, I was like, oh my God, she's a Trekkie. That's freaking awesome. Like, I just loved that when I read that about you. So yeah. really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I got involved in San Diego Comic Con uh, early on. I'm one of the early founding members. The very first con was in 1970, but it was very small and there was hardly anyone there. And then I, the first one I went to was 73 and I got involved in it. In 74, I did Vampirella for the Comic-Con Masquerade, and I won first place. And there I met Forey Ackerman, who sort of became my godfather. And, uh, cause I read the Vampirella comics and he was her creator. So I just loved that. And because I won first place, I was 19 years old, they put me in charge of running the Masquerade, which I did for the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah, so I, I was really involved in that. We just had the 50th anniversary of the Comic-Con a couple of years ago before COVID. And, uh, you know, that was a huge part of my life. And I would do these dances during the masquerade, which I'd run the masquerade and help everybody. But then there'd be this break when the judges made their decisions. And we'd lose a lot of people. They'd leave the room, they'd get bored and not stick around. So I thought we need to do something during the halftime. So I put together these dances and I was teaching dance at a studio in La Jolla, California. So I enlisted some of the dancers and we did a funeral for a friend and um, Killer Queen by Queen and Ballroom Blitz by Sweet. And Ballroom Blitz was the biggest group there. I had 14 dancers on stage plus a three piece band plus a guy named Weird Marvin, who was pretending to be the lead singer. He was a local color in San Diego where I grew up. And you know, there was the talk of the con, the, these dances. And sadly, it was really before video cameras. It was the mid 70s. So unless someone had a Super 8, you know, these kind of things are gone. And over your wonderful career, you know, what are some important things that you've learned, whether that's about acting or about life or about people? Learned, huh? Um, well, I've learned to, to be kind to everyone um, because you really never know who someone is or who they will be. And so I just try to treat everyone as special, you know, and I. I I say to myself, I am a mirror and I reflect your beauty. And, and I just, that's the way I try to be, to have an open heart with people and all that. So important. <laughs> so you, your catalog of work is insane. So many, so many. Um, it really is difficult sometimes to, to pick one, but um, I'm not gonna ask you what your favorite film is, but. Of the lesser known ones that someone might not know about that you would recommend to us, what would you like us to go seek out and watch that we might not be aware of? Well, I'm so glad that Honey Fear finally came out yeah. on DVD. Um, 
it was only available on video, I think it was 1991. Yeah. And I love that movie. I always cite that as being my favorite movie, but nobody ever saw it. They never had a chance. And uh, other than one bootleg, it was never, because Fred Olin Ray sold the rights to a company who sat on it and never released it for 30 years. And then finally the rights reverted back to Fred and he did a limited release of a thousand. He didn't know if anybody would want it or not, but it's really gonna be a collector's item. So if you guys get a chance to buy it, make flicks. Uh, J.R. Bookwalter is selling it online. It's a wonderful movie. It's got Karen Black and John Michael Vincent. And- uh, R.I.P. to both. Yeah, and yeah, indeed, I know. And um, yeah, it was just a really fun movie and I, I loved my role in it. When Fred first gave me the script, he said, read this and tell me what you think. And uh, so I said, it's a great story. And he says, no, 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 I, do you want to be in it? <laughs> and I thought he meant the sexy secretary, which was a smaller part, eventually played by Delia Shepard. And he said, no, I want you for the lead. And that was the biggest part I had ever had to date, 91. Um, you know, i had been a supporting player, but I really carried this entire movie. And, uh, it begins and it ends with me. So I'm grateful to Fred, who really believed in me and uh, showed me I could do it. Yeah, Fred is good at that from what I hear from people I talk to. He's really good at that. Yeah, I think Fred Olin Ray's movies are really underrated because he worked with just minuscule budgets, yeah. but he always got people, like he said, they were either on their way up or on their way down. And his movies are just populated with names. Like I did Mob Boss, um, that's a really fun mafia comedy. I play a very inept hit woman, and I work with Jack O'Halloran, and uh, Eddie Deason's in it, and William Hickey, and Mike Mazurki, oh, and Hickey, yeah, yeah um, there's so many. Stuart Whitman, there's amazing actors in there. I would search that one out to answer your question. Look for Mob Boss. And um, I just think I look so pretty in that. We had a great makeup <laughs> artist, and we crashed a lot of cars. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds fun. That sounds like a fun time. Yeah, oh, and I was supposed to fire all these guns, and they weren't even shooting blanks. They were just fake guns. Um, so I went to a shooting range, and I said, I want to shoot every kind of gun that you've got available, and including on up to an AK-47 because I wanted to feel the physicality of shooting. What's the kickback like? What does my body do? So it looked convincing. And uh, I, I enjoyed it so much that I kept going back and back. And finally, I got a certificate, which is on my wall right by the front door, that says I am proficient in shooting, cleaning, and assembling an AK-47. <laughs> Just in case anyone breaks in. <laughs> Um, is there a particular type type of character that you like to play most? Hmm. Um, I I think I like villains better, but everyone does. Yeah. Um, you know, because you get to be so deliciously evil. Um, but I'm really good at, at terror. Like this movie I mentioned, Cross Hollow, that we shot in Oregon. Um, there's this long extended chase scene where these cult members are chasing me through the house and through the woods and all of that. And I love how I can just go from zero to 60 in a second, you know, and just have absolute abject terror. That's fun for me. Um, but yeah, the villain is, is fun. And uh, I, and I liked in Haunting Fear, um, if you see that, at the very end of the movie, Jan Michael Vincent is um, 
comes upon me, and I'm totally insane at this point, and I'm stabbing a butcher knife in at the kitchen floor. And that was an homage to Karen Black's movie, um, Trilogy of yep, Terror. Yeah. yeah, so there's little little things like that. Also, in Slumber Party Massacre, there's a couple of visual gags. Um, when uh, Russ Thorne puts the drill through the door where I'm hiding in the towel thing, if you look on the wall to the right, it says, join the drill team. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah, or emergency drill instructions. That sign is in there somewhere, too. Yeah. So little things like that. Yeah. We don't take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> no, so much fun, guys. Okay, unfortunately, we have to let this lovely lady go. We wish we could have more time and talk all night long, but we can't. So please give it up for Yeah. Uh -huh.